G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you again at Luke's Gospel today, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open, preferably a paper Bible? You use a phone, you'll be distracted by messages and so on. Get a paper Bible out and uh, follow along. We're going to read Luke 5, 1 to 16, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, do please help us now as we look at your word to understand it and please grasp our hearts with the glory of your holiness and the magnificence of Jesus' forgiveness and um, just fill us with a, a deep desire to want to serve you and proclaim your name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may remember, last year, our church participated in a survey. 193 people from our church responded to this survey. And a few weeks ago, I started to tell you some of our, some of our answers. For example, 98.9% of people agreed with this statement. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. 98.9% of people, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. 98.9% uh, of people also agreed with this statement. I believe that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to many witnesses. 98.9%, I believe that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to many witnesses. 98.3% uh, of people agreed with this statement. I trust in Jesus alone as my only hope for eternal life. 98.3%, I trust in Jesus alone as my only hope for eternal life. I have to say, I, I found the figures pretty encouraging. I think it's fantastic. It's great, it's great that so many of us believe that Jesus died and rose again for us and we are relying on him as our only hope for eternal life. I also think it's great that uh, there are people who come here week by week, you know, a dozen or so people who come here week by week and listen, but you're still not sure about Jesus. You're still not sure that he died for your sins and rose again from the dead. You're still not sure if, if he's the only way for you to have eternal life. Uh, can, can I say, whether you're sure or not sure, keep coming. You're very welcome. This is a great place to be, to learn, to gather with God's people and learn from his word. Now let me tell you a couple of things that I found a bit less encouraging. Uh, this was question 15 of the survey. People were asked if they agreed with this statement. In the last six months, I have invited a non-Christian friend, colleague or family member to spend time socially with another Christian friend or to experience an aspect of our church community. In the last six months, I've invited a non-Christian friend, colleague or family member to spend time socially with another Christian friend or to experience an aspect of our church community. It's asking, um, are we being intentional about connecting our non-Christian friends and family to, to Jesus and to, and to his people? So how do you reckon we went? Remember, 98% of us say that Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. So how many of us are inviting our loved ones, our friends, our family, our colleagues, to, how many of us are, are inviting them to come and connect with Jesus' people and, and, and with our church? The answer? Forty-five point six percent. Less than half of us. Here's another question. This was question 16. People were asked if they agreed with this statement. In the last six months, I have spoken with an unbeliever about Jesus. 
In the last six months, I have spoken with an unbeliever about Jesus. Remember, 98% of us say that we believe Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. So, how many of us have spoken with an unbeliever about him in the last six months? Answer? 60.1%. Just a bit over half of us. Now, I'm thrilled that 60.1% of us uh, are talking to people about Jesus, but that's a big drop, isn't it? From 98% to 60% talking about Jesus, 45% connecting people to our church and to Jesus. So why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that nearly all of us believe that Jesus is our only hope for eternal life, but that only half of us share that hope with other people? Only half of us talk to other people about him so, so, so that they can have that same hope for eternal life. Let me give you a couple of minutes to think about it. Uh, the leader will put you into breakout rooms and let's spend two or three minutes thinking about this question. We believe Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. So why aren't we telling people? Why aren't we sharing this hope? Why aren't we talking to people about Jesus? You get the question? Okay. Couple of minutes into breakout rooms. Let's chat about it. All right, what sorts of things did you come up with? I mean, we've got all kinds of reasons, haven't we? COVID's been a big thing, I think. We haven't been connected with people. We haven't been in church face-to-face for a couple of years. Um, That makes it difficult to invite people to church and connect people. It makes it difficult to connect face-to-face with people. Also, there's just our fear isn't there, our embarrassment. It's becoming less and less acceptable in our society to talk about Jesus. Uh, Maybe you also just talked about how, how busy you are. You've got... You've got work to do, you've got family to look after, you've got um, hobbies to pursue. There's so much to do and just the opportunities don't present themselves. You're too busy. We've got plenty of reasons, we've got plenty of excuses, but you have to admit it's a bit of a disconnect, isn't it? It's a bit of a disconnect. We say Jesus is our only hope for eternal life and then we don't share that hope with other people. All right. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 5. Jesus has been traveling around. He's been going from synagogue to synagogue and he's been teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's been healing the sick. He's been driving out demons, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Well, now here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is again teaching, uh, teaching the word of God, Luke tells us. Uh, Lots of people are listening. It's crowded. No doubt it's hard for people to see Jesus, hard for them to hear him. And so what he does... He, uh, he organises to get into a boat, pulls out from shore a little bit so that you've got this kind of amphitheatre effect so that people can, um, can see him and can hear what he says. Goes just a few metres offshore and starts to teach the people. Now, the boat belongs to a man named Simon, um, also called Peter. We met Simon last week, do you remember? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Well... Let's have a look. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
Jesus finishes up his teaching and he says to Peter, uh, come on, Peter, let's, let's go out into some deeper water and let's do some fishing. Now, Peter is a fisherman and he knows there are no fish. He's been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. Plus, now it's daytime. Uh, the fish will see the nets. Have you ever seen a fish in one of the shops or something? You, they've got eyes on the sides of their heads. They can see the net. They're going to swim into a net that they can see. They're not going to go anywhere near them. But this is the bloke who healed his mother-in-law, for better and for worse. And so Peter humours him. Verse 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter lets down the nets and he finds that Jesus has done a stunning miracle. Um, either he miraculously knew where to find a whole heap of fish or else he's miraculously put a whole heap of fish there. Either way, in this place where there are no fish, there are suddenly so many fish that they nearly break their nets when they pull them out and nearly sink their boats when they put them in the boats. Verse 6. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. Now, Peter has already seen that Jesus is he's seen Jesus at work he's seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law he's seen Jesus perhaps healing other sicknesses and, and, and driving out demons but I mean who knows I mean magicians can do all kinds of tricks but one thing Peter does know Peter knows fish now, he knows for sure that's no trick he knows for sure that is a miracle from God and he suddenly realises, I'm in the presence of a holy man from God. And suddenly Peter feels, well, he feels, he feels dirty. He feels sinful. He feels ashamed of himself, ashamed of the life that he's lived. He, he realises he's unworthy to be in the presence of this holy man. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Peter has realised that he's dirty before God, he's sinful, he's unworthy to be in Jesus' presence, but, but Jesus has two things to say. Two things that would change Peter's life and eternity. First, Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. Somehow Jesus accepts Peter. Yes, Peter is sinful. Yes, Peter is unworthy. But Jesus accepts him. Don't be afraid. And Jesus doesn't just accept him. Jesus has a job for Peter to do. He says, Peter, from now on, you will fish for people. He says, Jesus says that Peter will join with him in calling people into God's kingdom. Still in verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus accepts sinful Peter. Jesus has a job for Peter to do. And so, what do Peter and his friends do? 
Well, they willingly, joyfully drop everything, leave everything behind, all, all the comforts of life, all the responsibilities, they leave it all behind and they follow Jesus. I mean, what else could they do? Now they know who Jesus is. Now they know that he accepts them. Now they know that he has something for them to do. He's got a mission, a purpose for their lives. What else could they do? But whatever the cost, joyfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. In the next story, Jesus comes uh, comes across a person with leprosy. Some kind of a skin disease. Now, the thing to realise about leprosy is this. It's not just an awful disease. Uh, Under the law of Moses in the Old Testament, if you have leprosy, it makes you unclean. It's a little bit like with COVID. Um, You have to test for leprosy in the Old Testament and then you have to isolate. If you've got it, you're not allowed to come into contact with any people. No doubt, because it's infectious, but, but there's more than that, uh, more to it than that in the Old Testament. Um, uncleanness in the law of Moses doesn't just mean that you're isolated from people. You're also isolated from God. You can't come to the temple. You can't, you can't come into God's presence. There's no Zoom service for people to be able to come into the temple uh, but stay physically distant. You, you are excluded from the temple if you are unclean with leprosy cannot come into the presence of God. A leper in the presence of God, well, it's actually a little bit like, we, like what we just saw with Peter in the presence of Jesus. He realises that he's, he's dirty, he's unclean, he's, he's sinful, he's unfit to come near, unable to be in the presence of Jesus. A leper is unable to be in the presence of God or his people. Now, this leper, he knows for some reason that Jesus is able to heal him. Maybe he's heard or seen the other healings and and so on but but there's a question in his mind the question in his mind is this is Jesus willing to heal him is Jesus willing to make him clean is Jesus willing to accept him into his presence and the great news is this Jesus is both able and willing verse 12 While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, like with Peter, Jesus sends the, the ex-leper out to testify, not just to talk to anyone. He has to talk to some specific people, uh, tell them what Jesus has done for him. He doesn't go to just anyone. The leper has to show himself to the priests in the temple uh, to testify by means of the Old Testament sacrifices, to testify to the religious authorities that Jesus has healed him. Jesus has made him clean. To testify to the religious authorities that Jesus is willing and able to make people clean, willing and able to make people acceptable in the presence of God. Verse 14, then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. As it turns out, though, this leper and the other people who've seen, they they cannot keep this news to themselves. People who've seen the greatness of Jesus, they can't help themselves but talk about him, not just to religious authorities. They'll tell anyone, verse 15. 
Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now Luke finishes this little section by telling us about the pattern of Jesus' ministry. He, he wasn't in it for the popularity. He wasn't just trying to win crowds. He was in it to please God. And so he would often withdraw by himself and, and pray. He would maintain this constant connection with his heavenly father. Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Okay. As far as we're going today, can you see what's here in this passage? Uh, so Jesus gives Peter and his friends that uh, miraculous catch, catch of fish. Uh, Peter is confronted by his own sin in, in, in the presence of, of the holy Jesus. But Jesus accepts Peter. Don't be afraid. And he calls Peter and his friends to follow him and to tell other people about him, to be fishers of men. And what do they do? Well, in response to, to seeing the, the greatness and holiness of Jesus, in response to recognising their own sin and, and, and then realising that they are acceptable before God, what do they do? Well, they drop everything. They put aside all the comforts of this life. They let go of any excuses, any distractions, and they spend the rest of their lives telling people about Jesus, being fishers of men. And then we met the unclean leper. We saw that Jesus is willing and able to heal him, to cleanse him, to make him acceptable to be in the presence of God and his people. And once again... Uh, the man and, and, and the other people who see what's happened, they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves but spread the news about Jesus to, to everyone who needs him. Do you know what this story, it, it reminds, me, reminds me quite a lot of, of another story in the Bible. And it's the story that we read earlier today from Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah he had a vision of God, a vision of God in all his holiness and splendor and glory with the angels crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The, the whole earth is filled with his glory. In response to this vision of the holiness of God, Isaiah, like Peter, he, he realizes his own sin like the leper. He realizes his own utter uncleanness. Woe to me, he says, I, I'm ruined. For I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the, the King of glory, the Lord Almighty. God graciously cleanses Isaiah from his sin, takes that coal from the altar of sacrifice and, and cleanses him. And then in response... When God calls for volunteers, straight away, Isaiah puts up his hand. Here I am, he says, send me. He, he doesn't even ask what the job is. It doesn't matter. Isaiah knows what it is to be confronted with the holiness of God. Isaiah knows what it is to be forgiven by the mercy of God. And so it doesn't matter what the job is, straight away he puts up his hand. Here am I, send me. Turns out to be a tough task. God says, no one's going to listen to you. Everyone's going to hate you. But Isaiah knows what it is to be confronted with the holiness of God. Isaiah knows what it is to be cleansed by the mercy of God. And so no excuse will stop him. Nothing will stop him. Okay. 
Okay, well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. I reckon this passage can really help us, can really encourage us. Uh, it, it can help us where we have that disconnect that we were talking about at the beginning. Uh, we say Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. But many of us don't tell anyone about him. We don't try to connect people to Jesus and to his people and to this hope. I think this passage can help us. First question that I think this passage asks us is this. First question. Have you been confronted by the holiness of God? Like Peter in that boat. Like the leper. Like, like Isaiah. Have you ever had such a, a sense of the holiness, the magnificence, the glory of God that you've suddenly realized how utterly out of place you are to be in his presence, how utterly unworthy you are, how terrible your sin is, how utterly unfit you are to be in the presence of God. Have you ever had that sense? Have you been confronted with the holiness of God? Have you been like Isaiah? Woe to me. I am I'm a man of unclean lips. Have you ever been like Peter? Go away from me, Lord. I'm, I'm a sinful man. Have you ever had that experience, not just of knowing that God is holy, but of being confronted by the holiness of God so that you see your own total unworthiness? That's the first question. Second question this passage asks us is this. Do you know what it is to be cleansed and forgiven by Jesus through the sheer mercy of God? Do you know what it is from having experienced the depth of your sin to then being blown away by the extraordinary news that God would forgive and accept you? I mean, 99% of us say Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. 99% of us say Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. But have you ever had that the experience of, of being gripped by that, being struck by the awfulness of your sin and then being amazed by the magnificent news that Jesus died to cleanse and forgive you, snatch you from hell and bring you to heaven. Have you ever been so struck by this magnificent news that you don't just go, oh, yes, uh, tick another theological box. Have you ever been so struck by this magnificent news you can't help just weeping and mourning and delighting and rejoicing and praising? Have you been confronted with the holiness of God? Have you been cleansed by the mercy of God, like Peter, like the leper, like Isaiah? Friend, if not, if you haven't been gripped by this reality, well, you're probably a person who doesn't talk about Jesus. You're probably a person who doesn't take the time and effort to connect your non-Christian friends, colleagues, family to, to Jesus and his people. All, all those excuses we were talking about before, they'll stop you. They'll, they'll, they'll keep you silent. But if you've been truly gripped by this, well then, friends, I'm confident that you're one of the 50% of people at Chatsworth who does talk about Jesus. You're one of those people who does invite people to meet with Christians and to join with our church because, I mean, like, like, like Peter, like, like the leper, 
like Isaiah, how, how, how could you help that? Commentator Daryl Bock puts it this way. He says, those who truly grasp how unworthy they are when Jesus graciously calls them cannot help but follow him in ministry. Can't help but serve him. It's a little bit like if you get the cure for cancer. Imagine someone comes up to you one day and they give you a piece of paper. Here's the cure for cancer, they say. Here's the recipe. This will cure everyone's cancer. You've got it right there. It's in your hands. This can save innumerable people's lives. You wouldn't keep it to yourself, would you? You wouldn't pop it away in a filing cabinet and say to yourself, well, this will really come in handy if, if ever I get cancer one day. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do it, would you? If you get the cure for cancer, of course you're going to tell other people. Of course you're going to share your good news with everyone who needs it. Even if they think you're a crackpot, even if they think you're a nut job, you're going to tell them anyway. You're not going to be able to help yourself. Friends, Jesus is God's powerful way of saving people, not just, not just saving people's lives, not just saving them from cancer. Jesus is God's powerful way of saving people forever, saving their eternal lives. If we really get that, it must, it must push us through our discomfort, push us through our embarrassment, make us change our priorities so we're not busy. It should make us people who cannot help but tell other people about Jesus. Is that you? I hope it is. Well, let's pray now. Let's, let's ask God to help us to be this kind of people, people who are bold, brave in, in telling everyone about our Saviour Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We acknowledge that we are utterly unworthy to be in your presence. We are sinners who've never perfectly loved you and who deserve to be excluded from your presence forever. But we thank and praise you that through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, you forgive us and cleanse us and allow us to be in your presence. Father, what extraordinarily magnificent, eternally wonderful news this is. Father, will you please so grip us with this reality that we cannot help but share this good news with everyone who needs it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.